Well, I have to um, kind of fly my nerd flag a little bit to start today. Uh, this past weekend, my brother and I have rescued our old childhood Nintendo Entertainment System. And with a little bit of love, we got it going, and it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> okay, so like, I'm not as big of a nerd as he is because he took the day off on Friday, and like, we just sat around my house, and, and you know, while Micah was asleep, we were playing games from like, you know, 1985, and it was sweet. I loved it. Uh, upon first flipping on that TV and being greeted by Mario's familiar, amazing face, I immediately, we, we both just had the biggest, dumbest smile on our, <laughs> on our face, and I turned to him, I was like, dude, this is just like summer vacation. I loved summer vacation as a kid because I'm, I'm fairly convinced that there is no other time in your life where it is fully acceptable to be just lazy and carefree and you just have nothing to do. I, I remember like there were times where I couldn't even remember what day of the week it was because my brain was just, you know, operating at essential functions only. I was breathing and eating and that was about it and it was wonderful. I loved summer vacation. And my, my brother and I were pretty blessed, especially like during those golden years of really being able to appreciate that. My mom was working midnights, and uh, so someone was always home. And then occasionally my grandma would come up too. And so like we never had to go anywhere. We, we, we always got to be at the house. And as parents know, though, a little too much of a good thing starts to be a bad thing. And by about mid-August, you could see, you know, the stress and anxiety level of the parents starting to rise because my brother and I would start saying the words that make, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up as a parent. I'm bored. I'm bored. I don't know what to do. I'm bored. And I'm, Mom, Dad, I'm bored. And no matter who it was, whether it was my grandma or my dad or my mom, they would always have the same response to me. I'm bored. That's not my fault. That's not my fault that you were bored. I can still distinctly remember my grandma's voice. Sean Patrick, you are responsible for your own fun. (laughs) She was right. She she said, if you don't want to be bored, go do something. Do something. That's the idea that we're looking into today, the concept of doing something, which can be a little easier said than done when we take an honest look at it. As we continue our sermon series of of living in the light and and, and running down some of these principles that Dr. Henry Henry Cloud uh, lays out in his book, we come up to the concept of do something. And and what we talked about last week with the idea of playing the movie forward perfectly kind of springboards into this principle of doing something. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about taking and analyzing what it is that we are sowing and making sure that it's what we want to reap. As a child, if I didn't want to be bored, I should, not have re- or I should not have sowed seeds of boredom. As Dave put it, if we want to grow tomato plants, we shouldn't be planting green peppers. So we've looked ahead. We've identified what it is that we want to be reaping. And, 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 and we're sowing those things now. So now what? Do something. Do something. I often kind of find myself kind of stuck Kind of like spinning my wheels. This happens way more than I, than I want it to happen. And I, I try to step back and analyze what's making me stuck. And, and, and I come up with a, what, what I think are pretty valid and, and legitimate reasons. Like, I feel like time has never moved faster. Like, the older I get, it's like I come into the office sometimes on Monday. And by lunchtime, it's Friday afternoon. 
I don't know what happened to Tuesday through Thursday, and somehow it's Friday already. Like the time just flies by so fast, so I, I get stuck because of that. Or maybe I just don't feel motivated to, to do something, and, and you know, I, I just, it's, it's just not there. Or, or I'm waiting on somebody else to do something, and, and boy, I'd, I'd really like to act, but I'm just kind of getting bogged down because I'm waiting on person X, Y, and Z. Or the timing might not feel right in my heart, or, or I, I might not understand what I'm supposed to be doing, or whatever. But if I'm honest, I mean, really what these things are are excuses. And uh, that's, uh, you know, as legitimate as they might seem, I'm just making excuses and I'm stuck. Well, today in our gospel lesson, we come across a man who's been stuck for 38 years. We meet this man by the pools of Bethesda. Now, the pool of Bethesda was this place where a significant number of disabled people and and people that were, were sick and and, and had various disabilities, would gather, and they would wait for the waters to be stirred because it was said that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir these waters. And when the waters were stirred, that would, the, per, the first person who could make it into the waters would be healed of whatever it was that was ailing them. So you would have a mass amount of people with, with various disabilities and sicknesses just, just hanging around these pools waiting for the water to stir it up to have the opportunity to try and be the first person into the water. And here we meet this man who's been disabled for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been living with whatever disability. It doesn't say. We just, we just know that, that, that he's been disabled for 38 years. And we can assume that he's been at the pool for a, a, at least a significant amount of time. Scripture doesn't say how long he's been waiting there, but we do know that he has had multiple opportunities to try and make it into the water. Every time that water is stirred up, he's seen the water stirred time and time again. But every time the waters are stirred up, he can't seem to make it in somehow. For, you know, he says, well, if I had somebody to help me. And, and I feel bad for the guy. You know, when I first was going through this, this, this uh, gospel lesson and, and reading about it, I thought, man, that's, that's got to stink. To have a disability like that, to not be able to, to, to make it into the waters somehow and, and to just be cut off or, or, or beaten in every time, is, is, it's got to be frustrating. But then I read it again and thought about it some more and I thought, wait a minute. Everybody else there is also disabled. Everybody is dealing with some sort of problem. And yet they're doing something. They're getting into the water. This guy's just been laying there for who knows how long, just saying, well, I'd like to be better. I mean, I came here to get better, but no one's going to help me into the water. No one's doing anything for me. I mean, if I were this guy, I would have been camped out by the side of the, of the ledge, just waiting for that water to turn. The minute that water flipped myself in, flopped, wiggled, rolled, do whatever I needed to do to get into the pool. Do something. But instead, he did nothing. He could have done anything. But he chose to do nothing. And Jesus' response isn't exactly a response that we expect from Jesus. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? And the man said, I do, but every time the water stirred up, I can't seem to make it in. If only I had somebody to help me. If only someone were here to help me. Now, we would expect Jesus to, to reach down to the man, to offer him his hand, to pick him up, to dust him off, to tell him he is well. But what does Jesus say to him? Get up. If you want to be better, if you want to be healed, get up. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is the one that is doing the healing here. It's not like a you know, cheesy Disney fairy tale where it was, you were fine the whole time. You just needed to believe in your heart that you were okay. No, Jesus is the one that is doing the healing here. No doubt. 
But he's offering it to this man. This man has to stand up on his own and take what Jesus is offering him. Now, this often can conflict with who we expect and who we want God to be. All the time in my life, I have this laundry list of stuff that I want God to get done for me. God, here are my prayers. Here is my laundry list of things I need you to do for me. Here is the healing that I need. Here is the motivation that I need. Here is the stuff that's going on in my ministry. Just let me put that on up there. And not to say it's not a bad thing to ask God for for these things because we need to ask God for help. But, you know, I'll just be like, here's that list. You let me know when you're done with that. And I will come back with more stuff because I have got a laundry list of things that I need you to get done. We absolutely walk by faith and we, we, we lean on God's trust and, and, and accept his grace, but we still have to do the walking. God's word lights our path, but we're the ones that have to walk down it. And as I continued to read this gospel of, of this invalid man, as I started to, to see a clearer picture of, of who this guy was and, and I could start to see his face, I realized, the guy's me. I'm the invalid guy. I'm the one laying there going, no one's going to help me. If only I could get into the waters, but no one will help me. Woe is me. Because it's so much easier. It is so much easier to make excuses and to just justify things away than it is to do something. Most of you uh, are familiar with, with, I lead the praise team uh, some of the times, and, and, and I love doing that. And I've been playing the guitar since I was like 13. And uh, I've always, with, with my music, I've always kind of had this ceiling that I could never seem to break through. When I was in high school, I, I, I learned like six or seven different, different instruments because it was easier for me to, to pick up a new instrument, learn it, hit the ceiling, and then instead of like really focusing and, and pushing through, just go on and, and pick up another one and, and so on and so forth. So I've always wanted to try and break through the ceiling when it came to my guitar playing. I don't, I don't think I'm, I certainly can be better. And uh, so I've gone out and, and I've tried to get lessons and, uh, you know, I've subscribed to email blasts and video postings and bought books and subscribed to magazines and, and, you know, seemingly taking steps. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like I'm ever able to break through that ceiling. I'm always just kind of trapped under that ceiling for, and I don't understand it. And I step back and I try to say, well, okay, what's, what's going on here? I mean, uh, you know, I could just say, well, I'm already a professional musician. I've got a band down in Toledo and, and, and we gig and, and that's great and this is good enough. Or, uh, you know, I could say, I've never really had good teachers. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some guys that were great players but couldn't really teach well. And they'd, you know, a 13-year-old kid, and they'd be like, oh, hey, man, what kind of music do you like to play? Green Day? Okay, I'm going to show you how to play some Green Day tunes. Okay. You know, and I never really, like, learned how to play. Or, you know, like, I, I could say, oh, I have a learning disability, and, and I, I can't, you know, I don't digest information traditionally the way it's presented. So when I get these emails or videos or, or lessons or whatever, it's just, it's not computing. Something's going on here. But if I was really honest with myself and I stepped back and really analyzed what was going on, I know that the reason I'm never able to break through that ceiling is because even though I start to take steps towards doing it, I actually never do it. I don't continue. I go to the lessons, but I don't practice. I buy the book, but I don't read it. I don't put a significant amount of effort into it. And if I want to continue to be really honest with myself, I know that this affects a large portion of my life. More than just music, it affects my ministry. It affects my marriage. It affects my faith. I have asked God time and time again, Lord, I want to be closer to you. Lord, my heart is just, I have this desire to be closer to you. But then I ask myself, when was the last time I read my Bible not for work? 
When was the last time I prayed? You know, just before bed or after waking up. It's, there's always an excuse, and, and I never, can never seem to get there. The truth that I and so many other people don't like to hear is that we're responsible for taking actions. If we want a better faith, if we want a better marriage, if we want to be better at music or, or, or whatever, we need to do something about that. Because I don't want to just be along for the ride of my life. I want to be an active participant in it. Dr. Cloud, in his book, points out some characteristics of people who are consistently doers in their lives. People who are doers are people who are proactive. They make proactive choices. They make calculated, intentional decisions. They don't view themselves as victims of circumstances, but rather instruments to a solution. They recognize that they are in charge of making their move that they don't have to wait on somebody else to do it for them. And like that bored kid on summer vacation, they recognize that they're in charge of their own fun. It's up to them. Often in his seminars, Dr. Cloud will propose the following scenario, that if he were to walk outside after speaking and be struck by a drunk driver, who's responsible? Who's at fault? The drunk driver, hands down. It would have been the man that, that hit him. But then he would go on to say, Whose responsibility is it to then get well, to go to therapy, to strengthen his legs? Existentially, that falls on him. Even though he was not responsible for the initial accident, he still has to deal with those consequences. Now, we all need help. We all need God's help. We all need God's help, and God absolutely help, and and, and people help. And and we're kind of skirting the line here a little bit towards works righteousness, and we don't want to get over there. We recognize that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that, that grace is freely offered to us. We don't have to work to earn that. And we also don't want to get too far over in, into, the, into the ditch of, of cheap grace either, because between the, the lines of cheap grace and, and, and works righteousness, this is where we find Jesus in the middle. We recognize that God helps, that other people help, but we have to do our part as well. Paul, in his, uh, in his letter to the Philippians, would, would, would put it this way, the second chapter. Starting in the 12th verse, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. As people who are saved by grace, we have Jesus Christ living in our hearts. We are called to act on that. We are called to reflect that love and light out into the world. We're not called to just be invalid people who are laying around to say, I've been saved by Jesus and I'm just going to lay here. That's it. This is where it ends. We're called to, to, to take action. Actually, I love how James puts it in, in, in our uh, reading from today that Dave read where he says, Do not merely listen to the word. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Because anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who intently looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard by doing it, he will be blessed by what he does. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And it is up to us 
to reflect that image. We, our very image also reflects who God is as well. And it is up to us to go out these doors and show the world who God is, a world that so desperately needs to see Jesus. We are the ones that reflect who he is. We don't just, just come to worship on Sundays or, or Bible study on, on Wednesdays or, or Saturday or, or whatever it is we do and then just leave it there. James is saying we need to act on what it is that we're hearing. We need to do something because when we don't, that's when we become like that invalid man who's just waiting, just waiting for somebody else to do it. So today, since we are gathered in his presence, lifting his name in worship and praise and, and, and feeling his, his awesome love shining down upon us, let's, let's recharge that, that image of him inside of us and then let's take it outside of these doors and show the world who Jesus is by what we do. Let's no longer wait around for somebody else to do it. We are called by God to do something. Drawing on his strength, let's take action. In Jesus' name, amen.